Hey y'all, I'm Liz Nord and this is the No Film School Podcast. Sometimes we can learn as much from cautionary tales as we can from success stories. And the brilliant cast of In the Radiant City had some doozies from their diverse and colorful careers when we met back at the Toronto International Film Festival last fall. They were there to celebrate the world premiere of In the Radiant City, directed by Jeff Nichols' protege Rachel Lambert and co-written by Lambert and Nathan Rogorski. The film is a quiet but very tense family drama about a man who testified against his brother in a murder trial when they were kids and his return to their rural Kentucky hometown 20 years later to face the family that was left behind. It features a talented ensemble cast, including Marin Ireland, who also appeared in the Oscar-nominated Hell or High Water last year, Michael Abbott Jr., Madison Beattie, and Celia Weston, who you might know from her role as Barb Tucker on Modern Family. That entire group, plus Lambert and Grigorski, are my guests on this lively episode, where the cast dishes about what you should not do on set as much as they give constructive tips for directing actors, and Lambert shares the details of how she got her debut feature off the ground, including great advice like my favorite, get to know every goddamn bartender in the area, as well as the most important things she learned from mentor Jeff Nichols, who also produced the film. A technical note, if this sounds different than our normal episodes, it's because we had some challenges on the ground, and like in any good production, I had to do some last-minute improvising. In this case, that meant recording on my iPhone, but we think that the slight trade-off in quality is worth it for you to hear this juicy and informative conversation. I started by asking everyone to introduce themselves, and the first voice you'll hear is director Rachel Lambert. So I'd like to know, first from Rachel and then from everyone else, now, as far as I understand, Rachel was relatively untested in the feature department. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So how did you go about gaining their trust to play such vulnerable characters and then from you all what's the best thing a kind of new director can do to give you confidence in their ability to lead you the bribes helped um (laughs) no i think um i i actually i listened to podcasts like this and read articles like this uh, voraciously because i i did not go to film school um i did go to art school i spent four years in college uh, getting my bfa um, in uh, theater and uh, spent a lot of time making art and artistic work but I did not go to film school and so because uh, I couldn't afford it and I had to find a way to, to learn and figure things out I obviously was a huge consumer of film to a very like socially detrimental degree <laughs> but I was and so these things helped me so I, I will very happily walk through um, how my mind worked in order to to get those value adds to the project in order to get it alive because I because of those facts of my life and my creative life, I, and I knew I wanted to make movies, I knew um, I couldn't wait around for permission to make a feature film. If I wanted to be a filmmaker, I had to go make a goddamn movie. And I can't wait for someone to be like, here's your opportunity, have fun. I had to find it and make it, um, and I went for it. Uh, but I also was really realistic with myself, and I said, well, I have zero value inherently like nothing seriously if you're putting together a film you have to be honest with yourself I have nothing so what can I what can I put together and what do I have that can attract uh, quality artisans to be a part of it and make this thing the best possible thing it can be and not only honor the story but thereby give the film the best chance possible it's not about me and getting me my best chance like make the product the best thing you can and then that's how you can build yourself so okay thinking from that point of view 
I think, okay, here's this idea that I think could be really compelling. I'm drawn to it emotionally. I need to tell a story. That's in place. I have one of the best writers in the whole world named Nathan Gregorski as my partner. Okay, easy. Um, and we make a, we make a, uh, a script. We make something that's decent. Um, something that I feel like is uh, interesting, challenging, uh, that's exciting to me. Great, I have that in place. And if that's good enough, then maybe I can take that around to folks um, with my interest or passion or point of view married with that um, and try to get talent that are beyond beyond my, my pay grade for its show. Uh, people that I have no business asking to be in my movie, but if I can put that together, then maybe they will, and they did, um, which is to this day something I can't quite believe. And same went for, okay, DP. If someone, someone who else who's, who's young, who's hungry, but his needs that opportunity, is talented, who can ally with me, be my partner, and be working on this with me as much as a writer would from day one. That's what I found in Zoe. Uh, and then I, I went with my producers that were you know, friends of mine. We were all the same age, wanting to do the same thing. And I was like, hey, you guys, uh, you went to school for this. Let's figure out a budget. Let's be smart about this. Let's be really rigorous with ourselves. What, what can we get away with financially? How can we push ourselves to make sure that we can get this down to a place that isn't going to destroy the film, but I know I can at least maybe get this much money. Um, and so that's, that's what I went around to, to do, um, looking through the film and looking at what we had and, and, and what I could maybe manage. And then with that, uh, to back that up, I went to Kentucky where I wanted to shoot and I matched those uh, ambitions of the budget with resources, with connections to the area, um, whether that be you know, mayor offices, film commissions, or just like tastemakers in the area um, that I could, I could appeal to, as well as on the ground stuff. like. Get to know every goddamn bartender with a mouth in the area. They're gonna know everybody. If I need to burn a goddamn barn down, who's gonna know better than a bartender? He's gonna hear. He's gonna know every. He's gonna know every every. I can say this. Every Southern Irish scumbag that lives in Kentucky who's got a barn he's trying to get rid of, he's gonna know it because I happen to be related to a lot of them. Um, they unfortunately didn't have any barns burned down. That would have made things a lot easier. But no, we had to find someone else. So anyway, I did a lot of that work, so I can at least say I know I'm asking for this much money and I know it looks small, or it looks difficult, whatever your perspective, but I can back it up. And I have these artisans that are incredible with this talent, and I can back it up with, not, you know they're going to deliver an amazing product. Um, whether I can necessarily be the most brilliant director, I, I don't know, but I can at least say this, this has this much going for it, so at least take a chance on me. Um, and so that's what I, how I approached it, and that was the plan I made, and I, that's, that's the plan that I followed through on, I guess. I executed. Um, that did nothing to allay my insecurities about going in to do a first film, of course. Um, and it didn't allay any of my fears. Um, that was just, you know, dig deep, midnight talks to self. Um, and quite frankly, that's where someone like Jeff Nichols came in real handy. Real handy. He didn't have to do that. He needed to. That was great. Well, we'll definitely get to Jeff. He's a big, you know, hero on no film school. But <laughs> once you actually put all that groundwork in place, then, again, you had to sort of build the trust of this cast. Yeah. So I'm going to start, yeah, I'm gonna start asking them, not only how did Rachel do it, but again, what can directors do in general? If you haven't worked with them, if they're relatively untested, what can they do for you to make you go, I'm going to follow this captain? That's a loaded question. Um, <clears throat> what can a director do? Uh, they can be honest with you, and they can be clear and vivid about the story that they want to tell. And that was one thing that, that Rachel and... Nate really brought to the script. They knew from, from the very beginning, two years before we even started, the exact story that they wanted to tell on screen. Uh, we had 
the opportunity to do a retreat a couple of years before we even started shooting where we were able to uh, do some, some improvisations based on um, the outlines of some scenes that they wanted to do. You, you, you never really have that opportunity to, to do that in film. Um, you were talking earlier about resources and, and how to make a film and what, what, you, what you have to bring to uh, a first film for a first-time director. And I, I have nothing monetarily value, uh, but as far as film school goes, I also went to drama school, um, but I went to school uh, in North Carolina, and I happened to be there with, with Jeff Nichols. And Jeff and I uh, became very close friends in college. And I found that my relationships were probably the most important things that um, I took away from drama school, even more so than my training, uh, because those are things that continue to feed me today, uh, literally. <laughs> and, um, but if you find a core group, if you, ha if you have a core network of people that you can speak openly and honest to, and who understand you to in all aspects as a as a as an artist, which can be quite difficult because artists um, can be difficult people to get to know. Um, but like Rachel and and Nate, um, were very honest with us, and I think that made us feel comfortable enough to be honest with them and to question them if there were things that didn't make sense. Uh, and they were open to exploration, which is something else that you don't always necessarily have the opportunity to do in film. I was introduced to Rachel in a beautiful letter from her, complete with photos and the script that she and Nate wrote, which is always hook, line, and sinker for the actor, you know, a beautiful part to play. So they gave me their trust initially in finding me. And then beyond that, my instinct my instinct, I live by my instincts, literally. <laughs> so uh, my instincts about them and the situation were pretty good. But I've been around a while, and I have often thought that if I started teaching, a course I would teach would be how to survive a bad director. Been there, done that, have the T-shirt. So, you know, I just, uh, whether it's sad or um, lucky, I have a sense about how to survive a situation that's not idyllic. And um, so I, I just bring that to every job. And when it turns out that it's a wonderful experience, that is just, you know, you just sat down in a pat of butter when that happens. Mm -hmm. And that was the case here. And um, we were kindred spirits. She, both of them were so sympathetic to what I brought to the part, and um, I was just saying earlier that at the end of a very difficult scene, a shower scene that is in the um, film, uh, Rachel came in. I, you know, I've, I'm drenched with a nightgown sticking to all my private parts, <laughs> <laughs> and we had a cathartic hug and just kind of cried together, you know, and that was a real completion. I think. There's sort of the two parts of it, at least in my experience too, where there's the trust that you place in the director from what Celia's describing, the script, what comes to you, especially if it comes complete, like Rachel, the, the lookbook and the photos and the vision, so that when, when you feel like the vision is clear and um, that they have put time and energy into 
refining that, then you feel cared for and that you're going to step into a world where um, that, it, that is uh, detailed and specific for you and will deliver things to you that will surprise you as an actor. But also just, I think, I mean, for me, it always feels like the, the main jobs of the director in any world are um, that sort of singularity of vision and also being able to learn how to partner each person in the world the most effectively that they can. And I feel like that's something, that kind of care that I felt from Rachel and Nate when I first met them of listening to me in the meetings I had with them. I mean, meetings are so bizarre anyway. You sort of never know exactly what you're supposed to be doing, especially as an actor. I feel like, like, am I supposed to show you I'm the part? Am I supposed to show you I'm not the part? Am I supposed to be charming? In fact, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I feel like, for me at least, the most important thing I can learn from that is, are they actually listening to me mm. when I'm saying anything? Mm. You know, even if I'm just sort of, who knows what I'm talking about, but are they listening to me when I'm <laughs> revealing any of my thoughts or feelings about anything in the world? And, and I felt that from both of them. But then I feel like the second part of it that I remember, I feel like I, I remember a moment, whether we talked about it or not, I feel like I remember feeling this from Celia, that there's a thing that happens then when you're on set. Because you can have that experience where you feel like, I think this could be good before you show up on set. And then you never really know exactly how it's going to go. You can feel like, okay, the script is great. We had a great meeting. She sent me all this incredible research stuff. I know that she's prepared as she could be. But you never really know until it's the day how it's actually going to go down. And... The thing that is so beautiful about working with Rachel and Nate is that they know what they want. They knew when they had it, and it sounds so simple, but the thing that freaks me out the most <laughs> when I'm working with a new director is when you do a take or something, and then they come over to you and they're like, um, yeah, I, I, do you want to do it again? You know, and you're sort <laughs> of like, then I just want to run screaming from the set because you just feel like, listen, I'm just trying to do everything I can do not to think about how I just did it. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing everything I can do to get out of my own head. And if you want to put me inside of my head for this next day, like, oh, this is going to be a long shoot, you know. So when you feel like you can just sort of lean back on them, and when I felt <laughs> like I could kind of go, looked, I remember just feeling like, okay, I could turn to her and she'd go like, yeah, we got it or whatever, or, you know. We're re that was great, or here's a thought, or whatever, it's great. That is all, all I want on the actual day, is to feel like th I can trust that the director will tell me when they have it, and I don't have to worry about what I'm doing, and I don't have to kind of activate a third eye on myself, because that's the biggest struggle for me, at least on set, is to feel like I'm not thinking about what my face looks like, and what I'm doing with my hands, or whatever <laughs> the hell, and that I feel like, okay, I can trust that they know when they've got it, and, and that they're seeing what they that they're seeing it and that that they're seeing it in the moment that's so that that's the rest of it I mean I feel like and I feel like we all have as actors yeah. we all have those where you kind of go how's it going and then it's like great they know what they want they know when they've got it they know where they are because that's the thing that's terrifying when you're on a set and the director's like um I guess it's pretty good I don't know <laughs> that to me is the, the biggest nightmare so that that's like a real nuts and bolts moment even if they're faking it doesn't matter because I don't you feel like I don't know I don't know, I feel like we all kind of have that moment where, as actors where we're just like, just tell me if you got it, because I don't know. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? Um, we I did that great. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like uh, you all covered the, the basis of it. it's, it's truly reading the script and seeing if there's room for me to do something that I haven't done before. 
um, or a challenge of sorts, or if it's just a beautiful story. And to me, in the Radiant City was all of those. Mm -hmm. And then talking to Nate and Rachel specifically too, we talked for like 30 minutes on the phone. Mm -hmm. um, and she just really knew what she wanted and uh, was very honest and um, passion is a very big thing for me. Um, and I actually have a, a special place for first-time directors because I feel like there's this hunger and passion that you have to prove yourself. And the funniest part is usually it, they already have it in them and they just haven't had their opportunity, which was true with Rachel. Um, so to get on a set where you're with people and you're all there for this script and you're all taking the risk together, it's very special. And what you said, I very much agree with. I've worked with directors where it's like, yeah, that was, that was great. That was great. And I kind of feel weird when you don't give me direction because I'd like to think I'm a great actor, but if I don't have any notes, it feels very weird. Um, I feel like I'm walking blindly. Um, and Rachel was, was so wonderful in giving notes to me that um, spoke to me as an actor. You know, it's not like, well, do it better. You know, she was very specific of, in this moment, I feel like maybe she'd be feeling this, but how do you feel? And um, in general, to all directors, I, I love feeling like there's a trust there, too. Of, well, do you, what do you think about it? And, and giving me some room to play. Well, Michael, if you thought the first question was loaded, you, you all kind of touched on this, but the, the other side of that coin, is there anything you would advise newer directors or any directors that's sort of a less effective way to deal with actors? A, a do-not-do list. <laughs> mm. I'm ready for your t-shirt, Celia. I know. I'm <laughs> thinking mm -hmm. how politic to be. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to name names. Um, I, I've, I think I've been in, thank God, not many, but I de have definitely been in a couple of situations where I've been given a note that was result-oriented, and um, I tend to shut down um, mentally when I get a note like that, because like Marin was saying, it, it puts me into my head, and I feel like that's... Um, that's the, the being in my head is the most dangerous place to be as an actor. Um, when I kind of let go of my inhibitions, I seem to feel a little more successful in a scene, whatever success is. But uh, directing for result, I think, is is a dangerous, dangerous. That is verbatim what I was going to say. <laughs> Direct for a result and not give an actor any uh, latitude to try it different ways. Sometimes um, the most cliché choice is the least interesting. And if a director has already decided that, you know, his audience has like a 65 IQ and we need to hammer this home in every obvious way, um, that's that really shuts you down, and um, and I, as an actor, don't want to be known as someone who couldn't think outside of the box on that, and that's something I'm sensitive to when I'm watching other performances. I think, well, that's not terribly interesting. I got the info, but um, <laughs> and you know, there were scenarios too. There's sometimes just personality 
difficulties with someone who's very controlling, and you wonder, why are you directing actors? Why not traffic? <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, you know, because now that's a T-shirt. <laughs> and thankfully, my experience that with that is minimal. I've definitely had some moments, uh, and where I don't always mind a results-oriented note if the director is communicative about sort of there's some great moments with directors where they can say like look I know this isn't a great note but here's what the scene needs to be I'm not and let's talk about that or whatever it is and that's fine you know if you have a good relationship with the director and uh, which is why I think it's an interesting thing for me one of the first things that came to my mind about when you said this question was sort of what Celia was also talking about was this sort of personality thing and this kind of rigidity that can happen where sometimes it's really great if a director is like I understand where you're trying to go here it's not going to help us here but but to sort of let there be room for them to be surprised in where the scene might be going mm. because that's what we're looking for I mean you know we did do this for the enormous paycheck but <laughs> we you know we mostly do it for the joy of the day I think I mean we don't know any of this stuff is going to get to happen, so we're doing it, I think, I mean, I think I know these people well enough at this point, to, you know, this is how we choose to spend the hours of our lives, is, is making these things on the days themselves, and the, that joy. So we're, we're, we're looking to be in an atmosphere where we're surprising ourselves, and where the people we're working with are excited when they when they when they get surprised as well, and where we can kind of build off that with each other, and kind of going off of that too, that sort of personality thing that can happen. The the other thing that for me is like feels like a kiss of death, is when the we all know that making an independent film is one of the most stressful experiences <laughs> on earth. Um, <laughs> um, but when that sort of sort of panic that I know is happening at every moment of the day for directors on these sets frequently and producers, when that is communicated to the actors in the moment. And we've all been on sets like that where it's like, um, yeah, uh, you know, you're trying to ask you a question. It's like, well, we just, you know, I, I don't know, just can we just, that is, uh, that happens so, so often mm -hmm. where, and I understand it's difficult, it's challenging. There's like all the nightmares happening just past my eyeline, I'm sure that I. But when 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 it's communicated to the actors, that it's like it takes all the air out of the room, and I, I think it would. I mean, the number of times I've been in situations like that where the director is communicating their own panic, and this sort of frantic feeling is horrifying, and that takes all the kind of joy out of the situation. And then I feel like, well, why are we here then? What? Are, why are we doing this? It's hard to be concise with this question, but again, I feel like we're all covering the, the bases. Um, we'll start with you next time. I was just going to say. <laughs> no, no um, I, I was going to say being rushed. I, I know sometimes you only have 12 hours, but when a director really goes out of their way, as Rachel did, to make it not feel rushed and in between days talking and you know, how do you feel about this scene and kind of trying to lay the groundwork before you even get there. Communication is the biggest deal to me. Mm. I, I mean, the director's a captain of sorts and when I'm just out on the water by myself and they're not talking to me, I, I mean, just thinking about the very few experiences I've had where I didn't enjoy the director, um, it was when they weren't talking to me. Um, 
it, it's so much just like a thumbs up. Actors are very insecure people sometimes, <laughs> and I just want to know that I'm I'm bringing your vision to life in a way that you're happy with. So even if it's a thumbs up behind the monitor, that is so validating to me. Because if not, I'm just gonna keep trying different stuff. And there's been directors who are like, if you're not hearing from me, it's good. And that alone is huge to me. Mm. I just I just want to feel like I'm doing my job. <laughs> When I was talking about controlling and a situation that is so derailing, without saying any names, but on a huge film, there was a director um, with whom I had to work, and it was just two-character scene, and uh, he would not let me get through the work one time. He kept stopping me and oh, stopping me and stopping me <clears> and saying, throw it away, throw it away, it's just information, and I thought, Am I on law and order? You know, just trying to get the detectives to the, their next stop. Of course, I didn't say that. But this went on. We shot for 21 hours straight. We had to stop when the sun came up. It came to the point because other people around could see where I was trying to go. And finally, the cinematographer almost screamed at him and said, "Just let her play it." <gasps> And people were like, mm-hmm, a little <laughs> in the background. And don't you know, um, finally, he was intimidated enough to let me play it through. And it was exactly what he wanted, which he kept, kept preventing for 22 hours. So we got, the sun was up, we got one good take. And don't you know, the studio made him do reshoots. So I got paid a second time for the whole job. <laughs> they built a set out in L.A., and we got to shoot it properly, and it turned out to be really pretty fine. But that was agony. Yeah, and um, <laughs> my fellow actor who had worked with him before, you know, when we were out chatting on a break, and I said, I've never done anything like this. And he said, I'm, this is the second time I've worked with him, and believe me, you have to know the monster, and and I wouldn't have come back if I didn't feel like I could get through it, but he wanted the part, so that's what I'm talking about specifically, that kind of difficult personality. Uh, the only thing that I wanted to add on to that is, in terms of talking about partnering people, is that I, I always also feel really, really reassured when I can feel like a director is learning how each actor works differently and even if even just to the point of like oh you know this person they peak on their second or third take and then by their fourth it's we don't need to go further but the other person in the scene they sort of it takes them a little longer to find it so we'll start with the other you know even just when, when you realize that they're learning that it's so it's so reassuring and um, exciting because you feel like oh they're paying attention to us they're learning that okay if I take three takes and pass that it's not going to be as good they'll start with me and then the other person won't feel rushed when it takes him just longer to find mm -hmm. I'm not talking about you Mike even though I said him <laughs> <laughs> um, but no I mean things like that like it really actually is is exciting when you feel like and even there was when we did like the big fight scene I remember Rachel was like this is what we're doing today I've blocked off all this time in the beginning of the day just to talk about it and block it out so we won't feel like, um, all right, guys, we got to get going. You know, even just that kind of thing. And she, she could actually learn how we all worked, and, and, and that, that makes a big difference. It makes a big difference. Oh. 
we should talk about that. This is our favorite question. I was going to say, uh -oh. my saga ended with um, the lead in this film, household name. I'm told I was told he'd been wrapped right before I came, but. Um, the makeup artist said, you know, he burned his script in effigy <laughs> right outside of the trailer in front of everyone, a crowd. <laughs> and wow. Oh, my. Wow. <laughs> Hashtag Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit. Um, so I did not intend for this just to be a griping session, but that was very, very valuable, I think, for our, mm -hmm. for our um, you know, audience. Stay away, directors. Yeah, and for us. <laughs> but we will get back to this film. Um, so it's it's actually oh, it, really? it, it, yeah, this, uh, in the Radiant City. It's a little ditty. I just saw it today. Um, so there's not a ton of dialogue in the film, and I, I felt like so much of it plays out on your faces. So question for, for you co-writers is kind of how was that scripted and directed, and then how did you interpret? Was a lot of that on the actor side, or was there a collaboration? Because it was pretty magnificent. It's like we, we, we like the script to have a uh, indicative poetry and rhythm. So rhythm is also very important. So sometimes when you're writing stage action, um, it, it can sometimes be even in the reading of it can indicate to you perhaps what we think that moment is. But sometimes you employ the word beat or long beat when it's a moment that you're, you, you, you anticipate, okay, I don't want to use action or emotion in this this moment. I don't want to draw it too too particularly because here I anticipate the actor should should have an instinct here. I think that we should um, allow the actor to um, figure something out here. What is our instincts feeling here? We don't know what it's going to feel like when we're rehearsing it on the day, and I anticipate that. And then, but on the other side, there's sometimes when we know very. We know that an actor will be helped if we say very specific things about how they move into a room, how they might take off their keys off their out of their pocket and put like, what's your verb choice? What's your adjective? What verb? The, the verb has to be so specific that they can look at that verb and as an actor go, I know exactly. It tells me what to do with my hand here. I, the, the 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 weight of how they're describing how to drop these keys. It, I can imagine this person, I can imagine this behavior, and this behavior is so specific that now I can start making choices as an actor because I'm being given that information. Or, or we'll say things like, um, like we wrote a script recently where we said, uh, when, do the character, when the character wakes up, it's, uh, he wakes up, uh, his hair's must, it looks like he cuts it himself, um, and he's standing in front of the mirror and he, he puts his comb in his mouth to wet it and brushes his hair back. And so, like, these specific gestures and, and specific behaviors and how you... And we might have an adjective about how we describe what the comb looks like. What kind of comb does he own? And, and we can feed them those things. That's when stage direction can be, can be fuel to an actor um, for those silences that you mentioned. And, and it can be something that, that allows them to grow their character when they're not having to sit there and say, here's information, here's information, or blah, blah, It gives them something to endow in their imagination and as they're playing it. But then there's sometimes when they're reading it, it's like, there's something going on, there's a lot of dialogue, 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 beat. Dialogue, 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 long beat. And hopefully when they're, when they're practicing and they're running the lines, and if they have to ingest that beat and they have to justify it and they have to interpret it, and okay, so why does he stop here? We were going, 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 and they stop. So what is he doing? Why? Does he move? Does he, do, they, do they just look at each other? Does he not look at her? And, and then being able to uh, run those lines and run together or practice. We can rehearse. We can talk about it. But investigate what could be in that space. But we instinctively, Nathan and I, there's, just, there's a moment that they stop. The, 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 rhythmically, there's something that stops here, and I don't know. It, and that stopping is why the next line is this. 
And so we'll feel that as we're writing it, and that's why we write very rhythmic, like sometimes we even do line breaks. So um, this one didn't happen so much because the, the dialogue actually was quite spare. It was only a few, a lot of the poetry went to Mike and Paul, actually, and there was sometimes when uh, Marin and Celia had their flashes of it, but uh, Mike had to take a lot of weight on that just because of the virtue of, of his character. But So we do have some poetry, um, but with this one, it's pretty spare. But for instance, the next one that we wrote, uh, language was quite important to explicating both the character's um, point of view, but also their emotional state, just because of the nature of that story. And in that, we did this a lot, and we did this sometimes in Radiant City. Uh, Mike will know about it, but we'll, we'll break a line. We'll have, uh, we might have um, I work on boats, and then we'll, and maybe normally the sen maybe it's a whole sentence where it's like, I work on boats, I did this and then this, and then it goes to a period, but maybe instead of just doing it like, oh, that line, you might go, I work on boats, is a new line, comma, next line is the rest of the line, and then a word, period, and you, that way you see, it's like you're showing them, uh, we feel that this is how they speak. This is, this is their cadence. This is their rhythm of talk. This is how they form thoughts in our mind. This is the rhythm we feel they move in. And, and that's not to say, okay, that's a line reading, but it, we're trying to say, this is, this is how we feel your character is. And again, that's, again, fuel. It's indication of fuel in, in our imagination because I don't want to be on set going, well, here's everything I think and I'm just going to talk all day. I want them to go and, and, and let their imaginations run. And, and meet it halfway, so then when we show up on set, they can be doing their jobs, and they can be excited, and they can they can say, now I've got this, and, and then maybe by doing that, they can show up and so, say, well, I tried that, that made me think, actually, this, and I think you're wrong, and then I can be like, oh, fuck, well, that's better, um, and that happens all the time, and that's great, I love it when they're like, well, I did it, or, or maybe it helps them, and they're like, actually, that helped click, okay, great, and we don't even talk about it, they just show up and do it, because they've They've been given the things they need to be able to be full artists and, and make decisions. And I want actors to make choices because they are artists. They are not my, my, my dolls. <laughs> it frustrates me when I hear actors treated that way because it's, it's disrespectful. Um, yeah, so that's... that's yeah. Yeah. I guess just to piggyback off that, like, I think it's really important to us that everything the actors need is in the script. I, I think we have to wrap up shortly, but did anyone um, whose faces I actually saw on screen want to talk about taking some of that direction or how you interpreted the script? It's very hard, I can imagine, to make it very concise, and you only have so many pages to get things across, um, and it was just so beautiful to me reading the script, and you would understand so much in two sentences. Even as a human, I, I like to talk all day. <laughs> it takes me forever to tell a story, and it was so concise. Um, and you could you could just visualize it to me having these beautiful pages to pull from but then also having the freedom to take those beats and yes there were moments where it was very strategic of we want a moment here um, and being able to find something beautiful in that but also really being able to take my time it wasn't an experience like Stilia had where I felt like I had to just get through it um, even with our, our short shoot days um, I really felt like I could take my time and live in this world and wait a second to say that line and maybe give a, a moment. And for me, watching the film, those are the most beautiful moments in the unspoken um, between all of us that you guys facilitated. I, even though the dialogue is very spare, the times that Laura talked in my memory of what it was like on the page, which I don't know if this is actually true. My memory of it was that especially in some of like the bigger speeches, like it would be like one long sentence almost. Like it felt like 
it felt like one big sentence. Mm. And I remember feeling like, oh, her internal motor is real fast. Her internal motor goes real, real fast. I was conflicted because I am from the South and I know that Southern men don't necessarily uh, wear their hearts on their sleeves. Um, so I think the moment I was able to somewhat grasp what was written on the page was when I took the punctuation away uh, because I felt like the punctuation was trying to inform where he was supposed to go and it was and I think we found a different way to get there by taking out the punctuation. Because Jeff Nichols is uh, well covered on our site I would love to know um, and I think uh, we all filmmaker audience would love to know um, anything that he specifically sort of advised you any any advice that he gave to you that really helped you in the process? Well, there's seriously, I'm not being hyperbolic, there's so much and it continues to this day. Every conversation I have with him is he's so generous and humble and willing to listen to me and he has every right to just not have to, he doesn't have to do that um, and he continues to do that and it's very, it's overwhelming. I know he's, he had this great, about keeping focus on set, we, we, we bonded over that, I think the first time we met in person, about how we don't like a lot of people on set, I, I don't like extraneous people, I like to keep crews light, I, I like the imprint light, I don't, I don't like a lot of, I don't want the cell phones out, I don't want, so we, we bonded on the focus thing, and so he, he did bring up, well, this is what I do, and so I'll share it, um, because I think it's useful, he said, okay, so, Obviously, you know you, there's always the right place to put the camera. You know where it's going to be going, and you know where it's going to be going from you know your first setup. You know where it's going to go after that. So you, when you have you have the take and you have your take from that angle, it's not time to go. Oh yeah, it's great. No, you as a director, you, you finish. You move straight to where the camera's going to go. You physically move your body to that point, and you look at your cinematographer, and it's like you just keep you and your DP are like locked. You move right to that next place, and you and her, or in my case it was you and her, and for him it's him and him. Um, but me and Zoe would be like, okay, that's here. And it was it, by us maintaining that almost like a, a string between us, um, a focus, it permeated the room as much as possible. I mean, obviously there's circumstances and weather and things. Things will never keep that to be uh, pure as an edict. But if you retain it and as much as possible, then, then it, it, it does create a trend. And I would say that we had that, and, and, and that's what allowed us, the final scene of the film, we're in that prison, already charged, that is a tough day, and that whole film hinges on that, that goddamn conversation, and everyone knows it, and, and, and having had a, a lot of time being able to have that imbued into the, the crew, they just dropped right in. I mean, like, you could hear a pin drop from the moment we walked into that set, at least from my point of view, and the actors were given so much, we were allowed to just move. From the next, it was like you could hear a pin drop all day, and and that was, I mean, I wanted to hug and kiss everyone and my crew on that day to give that to the actors, to give that to us, and give that to the film, and that was directly because he he gave me that that that, that idea. I mean, I could go on and on about a different piece of advice, but I feel like that was very instructive for me, and so any directors listening to this, um, I would say, give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great. Great note to end on. Thank you guys so much. I wish you the best of Thank luck. You. Thank you. And uh, it's going to be crazy here, so. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Coffee. Thank you all for listening. In the Radiant City is available now on iTunes, Amazon, and VOD. You can hear lots of other fascinating conversations on the art of filmmaking by finding the No Film School podcast in iTunes, and of course, by visiting us at nofilmschool.com. 
Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can catch our Indie Film Weekly News show, which comes out every Thursday morning and fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. Meanwhile, stay in touch. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. See you on Thursday.